Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. Take your seats and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I feel the preach in the room this morning. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses in sins. I'm reading out of King James, then I'm going to jump over to the New American. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye were saved. And hath raised us up together and made us. I want you to hold on to that phrase this morning. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Reading out of the New American. I want to read just verses 4 through 6. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This phrase that I want to look at this morning as we talk about authority. We've been talking about position. We opened up last week in our series, Position. You have been positioned with Christ in heavenly places. We talked about access last week. We've been given access to every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus because of the seat of authority that we've been given. And so I want to look at this week authority. We have been given authority because he made us to sit with Christ in heavenly places. This is about our position that once we became saved, that we were given access to every spiritual blessing. When we look at Ephesians chapter 2, which is smack dab in the middle of 1 and 3, obviously, if we go numerically and in order, smack dab in the middle of Ephesians 1, which establishes what the spiritual blessings are, And Ephesians chapter 3 goes on to explain even more. Right in the middle of that is is the crux of the message. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the King James, I love the way it says it, and that's why I pulled it out this morning. It says, and made us sit together. We didn't have a choice. When he saved us, he made us. You need to get that this morning. When he saved us, he made us. We were dead in our wrongdoings. We were dead in our sin. But He made us sit with Christ in heavenly places. So we recognize that our position means certain privileges. One of which is access, which we talked about last week. We are positioned in such a place that access to God is automatic and simple. I gave the illustration that if I'm laying out in a field with my wife looking at the stars, I don't need to go somewhere else to talk to her. She's right next to me. 
I have access. I've been given access by way of covenant. When you were saved, you came into covenant with Almighty God. The second aspect of our positioning of being seated with Christ in heavenly places is that of authority. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is authority. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that your anointing's in the room. I thank you that the anointing that, preach, that makes preaching easy is upon me this morning. God, I want to communicate revelation to your people this morning by your spirit. That's my heart, God, that when I pull my hands back, it's your handprint that's left. That when we leave this place, God, we wouldn't just say, oh, that was a great message, but we would come into greater revelation of your kingdom and of the authority that you've been given us. God, let us be transformed by not just hearing the word, but by doing the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Authority, by definition, is the exercise of power and influence. I'm going to say that again. Authority, by definition, is the exercise of power and influence. It is our legal right to achieve things by utilizing the resources made available to us. You have been given a legal right by way of the cross and by your seat with Christ to access every spiritual blessing. If I, for instance, had a product that I was going to sell, and I hired a salesman to sell it on my behalf, that salesman has authority to sell the product, to use the company's name, because it was given to him by the company in the first place. So it is, we have spiritual authority. This passage is our legal document that reveals to us that right of use. We are already seated with Christ in a, in a position of spiritual authority. With every spiritual equipment called blessings, we have access. We're already seated. It's not something that's going to happen. It's something He has already done. We have been seated with Christ. He made us to sit. Christians, I think, in misunderstanding this or often being ignorant of what this really means have this way of, of approaching prayer from an angle that does not use authority. That we have for so long been ignorant of our seat with Christ that when we approach prayer, we do it from this way that we have a need to cry out to God and beg Him for an answer. And much of intercession is like that. Much of the intercession is we cry out for revival and yet it never seems to come. I mean, there are whole conferences and, and I'm not knocking them because I, I believe in intercession. I believe in prayer. We, it is, our, it is our, our engine in this church. Prayer is the engine of this church. But it's our pleading that, with God that somehow God would come down and visit with us. We have this idea that we have to beg God to come off his throne and come visit with us. That we are so far separated from God that our prayer must be this idea that we are trying to pull God into our realm. But what he did 2,000 years ago at the cross is he pulled us up into his realm. He pulled us up to our seat of authority. He pulled us up and he said, I don't need to come to you. I'm going to bring you to me. 
Because I've already come to you. He came in the form of a man. He came and He died on Calvary's cross. He bled and He died. The veil was torn and it gave us access and it gave us a seat of authority. And I think for too long we've been living as though we have no seat with Christ. And it's evidenced by the results of our prayer. It's evidenced by the results of the things happening in our lives. But I believe there is an establishing of what we already have in the spirit in the here and the now. Authority is about projecting and establishing our existing position in heaven now on the earth. It is about establishing what God has already done and achieved through our spiritual positioning. He made us to sit with Christ in heavenly places. This is a powerful faith position to take. When I begin to recognize I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, I begin to have a different perspective. I begin to see things from a different way. I want to look at another aspect of faith. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, a familiar passage. Mark chapter 8, verse 13. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet comprehend or understand? Do you still have your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, twelve. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Jesus refers to two incredibly extraordinary miracles here. He refers back to, in the first, the five loaves. Feeding the 5,000, there were 12 baskets left over. In the second story, he refers to the seven loaves that fed the 4,000, and there were seven baskets left over. And the miracle here was that with less, there was more. With five loaves, there were 12 baskets left over. With seven loaves, there were seven baskets left over. The smaller amount actually created the greater miracle, the greater provision. And Jesus here is confronting wrong thinking. That we would think you have to have more to have more potential. I need more money to have more opportunity to make money. I need more of this to have greater potential. And what Jesus is actually saying, because in a non-biblical arena, this would seem true. If we look at our world, well, I can't start my business till I have more capital. I can't do this until this happens. I can't, I'm lacking, I'm lacking, I'm lacking. But in the biblical arena, Jesus is seeking to shift our whole approach to life. They're fishermen. That's who they were. More boats, bigger nets means more opportunity to make more money. But the issue is, is not having more that you can do more. The challenge is, is that faith is not based upon natural laws, but based upon who God is. 
And so the question posed by Jesus in verse 17 is, do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? They hadn't learned from the two miracles that less resulted in the greater miracle. An experienced miracle, you need to understand this. Here's a principle. Once you have seen and experienced a miracle, we must then live up to that miracle. An experienced miracle becomes a rule to which you must live by. It sets a standard. Miracles set a standard in our lives that we often will say, oh, I remember when God did this. And then we're faced with a similar situation and all of a sudden we're running. I remember there's been times, for instance, we, had, we needed a $1,000 miracle. Had great faith for it. I, I've seen God do $1,000 before. It came, happened. And then all of a sudden, there's a $2,000 miracle that's needed. And we run the opposite way. Oh, I guess I'll just go to the bank. I guess I'll just go get a loan. I guess I'll just go do this. I guess I'll work it out. And the standard was that less was more. When God provided this miracle, it means that he wants to do more miracles. It means that he wants to continue. And we have to ask the question, why do I not live up to the miracles I've seen him do? It's really a challenge to why am I not seated in my place of authority? Why am I not sitting where he's called me to sit? I've seen him do the miracles. Why does my faith get so challenged when I need another miracle? And it's because we've gotten out of our seat. We're not seen from his perspective. The reason Jesus said, do you have a hardened heart, is the issue with the children of Israel through the whole wilderness was they saw miracles, but we can so easily get used to miracles that we stop living with a faith attitude and drawing from God. We can see God do lots of little miracles, and we forget that those prepare us for the big miracles. We forget that everything Jesus does is building in us more of his kingdom. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. Every day they had manna. Every day they saw this miracle. And it was amazing. But what about after six weeks? What's the big deal? It's just the manna. It's just what God does. God just does it. And we develop an attitude toward the miraculous that causes us to actually lose faith. That when we're faced with needing a bigger miracle, we forget how big the miracle was with the little things. And before long, we stop looking to God for provision and protection, and we lean back on our natural ability. And that's where grumbling starts, that's where complaining starts, and that's where we develop a hardened heart towards the miracles of God. It all starts because we ignore the little miracles. And we ignore and we lose value for these miracles that God's done because we're just looking at the big miracle that we need. And God wants to heal our hearts this morning, church. He wants to restore us to authority. The question that he asks confronts the wrong thinking. Have you not seen? Have you not observed what I've done? Have you not learned the issue with me? God, little creates great miracles. 
And with this faith position, it's a great basis for functioning from authority. Because now we don't look at the size and become overwhelmed by it. The size of the need is nothing to God because he creates more with less. When he needed to feed the 5,000, he had less than when he needed to feed the 4,000. What faith does is it looks to authority and the provision of God. Authority understands this principle of faith. It recognizes that all spiritual blessings are available to us and then draws God and heaven into our earthly conflicts from our seat of authority. Instead of trying to reach heaven with our need, we bring heaven to our need. I don't have to reach heaven. I'm already seated there. I'm already seated there. So I bring heaven to my need. I don't need to try and go get heaven. I bring heaven. It's what Smith Wigglesworth used to say. I don't need, to, I don't need God to move. I am the move of God. Because wherever I go, God is. It's a dichotomy that we have to wrestle with, that we have to recognize that I'm here, but I'm also there. Wherever it is. We always point up. That's a whole nother message. That'll get into a whole different realm. Heaven is far more real than we make it. It's active in our lives. Heaven is active in our lives. Hebrews 12, therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So let us run unencumbered the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm seated with him. Instead of trying to reach it, I bring it. Much prayer and intercession is about pleading with God for revival. But authority is about declaring what God has already been made available to us. Revival is already available. You need to catch that. Revival isn't waiting for God to move. Revival is, what, is God waiting for us to move. Revival is God waiting for us to move. And when will we move? When will we shift? When will we begin to recognize I have a seat of authority? I bring heaven to my situations. It's often said the move of God is already here, and it is, and God is wanting to move if we just make room for him. So we can pray and fast about the moves of God all we like, but what about just allowing God to move? See, so many people, and I'm going to challenge your thinking this morning, so many people specifically in our Pentecostal and charismatic circles spend years praying for revival, and they've never led anyone to Jesus. So many people spend years locked away in prayer rooms with big banners and, and maps and all these things as prophetic signs of the coming revival and they've never shared Jesus with anyone. They will never have revival because revival doesn't happen in a prayer room. Revival doesn't happen when the church is locked away. As I've studied all the great revivals, there was always a group of people who were going after God in the streets. There was always a group of people who said, we're going to see people come to know Jesus, and then God breathes on it. 
I would like to propose something to the equipping church this morning. Revival is waiting in your seat. And revival's waiting for you to get out of your seat and remember where you're seated. Revival is inside of you. Revival isn't a series of meetings. Revival isn't when some great prophet comes to town. I I can guarantee you there are some people sitting in this room this morning that are more anointed than some of the best conference speakers out there. You just haven't realized it yet. Because you've been held up thinking, I've got to wait for someone else to bring a miracle. I've got to wait for someone else to prophesy. Begin to prophesy over your own life. Begin to get the word of God out and prophesy over your life. Begin to decree a thing and see it established. Begin to move in authority. So we have to change our thinking. Here's the first thing that you need to do. is You need to begin to live in a place of authority. You need to begin to live in a place of authority. So many of the issues in our lives could be dealt with if we just walked in our authority. Well, I just have such a hard time around certain people and they just trigger something. Take authority over it. I'm having to do that. God's dealing with me over certain attitudes and behaviors and I'm having to come face to face with the cross and recognize I've let things live in my heart that I shouldn't. That's the Christian walk. The Christian walk is picking up our cross daily and reckon I got to deal with my junk. Well, this person always looks at me funny. Slap your own face. <laughs> deal with your own junk. I think so long we walk around with the mirror in the wrong direction. Wanting to point out other people's issues when really we're the one that stinks. The reason they look at you is because you smell. I want people to smell heaven on me, not my junk. Live in a place of authority. Number two, live in a place in the spirit of existing provision. What do I mean by this? Provision already exists. It's already there. He has already made all provision. I used to tell the story. You know, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. One morning I was driving to church and we needed a, I think it was like a $700 miracle, something like that. And I Googled price of a cow today. And it was like 700 bucks. And I said, Daddy, sell a cow, please. I just need you to sell a cow. Literally, I got to church. There was a check in the mailbox for $700. When we start living from the place of authority, Dad, I need you to sell a cow. Provision already exists. He already owns it all. He already has it. Number three, live in a place where our responsibility is to work in conjunction with Christ. Work with Christ, not against him. I think we spin our wheels sometimes working against what he's already paid for. God, would you please heal me? And listen, I've prayed that. Okay, let's be real. Do I live this out every day? No. Am I preaching to myself? Absolutely. I'm having to remind myself of these principles. When I, when I prepare these messages, do you know how much I cry and repent? God, I'm sorry I don't live this all the time. Help me to live it before I preach it. But we spend so much time. He said, 
These signs shall follow those who believe. You know why we beg and plead? Because we don't actually believe. That's really, that's foundation. We don't actually believe, so we have to plead and beg. He's already done it. He's already paid for it. And then we use those wonderful Christian phrases. If it's thy will. His bloody, bruised, mangled body proved it was his will. I think the greatest slap in the face to Christ on the cross is when we heal this person if it's your will. He proved it was his will. He proved it. He already did it. When we work in conjunction with Christ to bring the provision we already have upon the earth, thy kingdom come as it is done in heaven. Number four, live in an attitude of faith. Live in an attitude of faith. I think faith really is an attitude. I really do. I think it's an attitude. I think we need to get an attitude about our faith. I think we need to to shift out of this poor me mentality and start recognizing I'm seated with Christ. He made me sit down with him. He didn't give me a choice. He gave me access and then he said, take a seat. You're going to sit with me. You're going to see things from my perspective. I paid too high of a price to leave you down there. Come sit with me. You know, like we do with our kids. Get over here and sit down now. I get the rodeo last night with my four-year-old who rode his first sheep, did great. He literally almost fell out of the bleachers because he wouldn't sit down. I had to pull him by the arm, sit down. I think Christ does that to us sometimes because we're over here looking at every shiny thing distracted by all of our problems and Jesus says, sit down and see things from my perspective. And then we boo-hoo. He made me sit down. No, that's where you're supposed to be. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. Extra crispy, please. I just figured if there was a call coming, I might as well put an order. Authority is exercised only when we understand the principles of faith and spiritual positioning. Let me say that again. Authority is exercised only when we understand the principles of faith and spiritual positioning. The key, here's the key, to function in authority. Decree. Decree. The power of faith words. Ezekiel 37 gives an incredible description of this. The valley of dry bones demonstrates the power of decree. Ezekiel 37.10 says this, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The power of the command was based upon existing knowledge. The knowledge being that the command of God was to speak to the dry bones. I prophesied. That word can also be, I decreed as he commanded me. He has given us this word. He didn't have to, God, please bring breath into them. Please raise up an exceedingly great army. He said, I prophesied as he commanded me. The word 
the word brings life. The word, when I decree this over my life, when I stand on this word, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, war with the prophetic words. When I begin to decree this over my life, with long life he shall satisfy me. They that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I'm one who hopes in the Lord. I'm one who waits on the Lord. I decree the word of God over my life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits who forgives my iniquities and heals all of my diseases. When I begin to decree His Word, as I prophesy as He commands, it's just a command. The principle behind this is Romans 4.17. Even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Speak of those things which are not as though they are. God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that does not exist. God's word is living. It's active. It is spoken forth and it is creative. You were created in the image of your creator. God spoke and it happened. That's the big bang theory right there. God spoke and bang it happened. We were created in the image of the creator. He has given us authority to speak and watch things happen. You need to catch that church. We can carry that prophetic word inspired by the Holy Spirit, which carries similar power. The result is the decree is like prophecy. God showing and saying through us what he wants to do. Great examples when he spoke to the fig tree. Again, he didn't pray. Oh God, please cause the fig tree to wither up and die. He spoke to it. I think some of you need to watch what you say. You've been speaking death over family. You've been speaking death over situations. Oh, my child, he's just never going to change. No, I prophesied destiny over him. I decree that I raised him in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I decree that he shall come into a, 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 a living, active relationship with Christ. I prophesy his destiny. I prophesy his purpose. I decree life over him. I think so long as we, for so long we've spoken death over so many situations in our life. I'm just always going to be this way. My family was this way. I'm this way. It's just always going to be this way. You're right. You are exactly right. As long as you continue to live that way, that's exactly how it's going to be. But if you'll begin to speak the word of the Lord, the vital principle surrounding decree is the right of decreeing is based on obedience. See, so many in the world right now are teaching this manifest crap. I don't know how else to say it. Sorry, I said crap from the pulpit. Now I've said it twice. But it's this whole idea, if I just think about it, I can manifest it. And if I speak it enough, I can make it happen. That's not how, that's not how decree works. The right to decree is based on obedience. When I'm obedient, son, when I'm walking in the way that I should, I can decree a thing and it will be established. So I can't live like hell and live in sin and live unholy and think I can just decree God's word and it's just going to work. That's not how it works. That's witchcraft and divination. 
But when I'm living right, when I'm living holy, when I'm following his word and I'm dealing with the things, I can begin to speak to situations. I can begin to speak to those things and line up. The right of decreeing is based on obedience, hearing God and speaking his word, speaking what you hear. Such a word from God has within it automatically the inherent power for creative miracles. When God speaks, there's always something within that word that carries creative faith to bring it to pass. So when I decree, I first ask, God, what are you wanting to do in this situation? How do you want to work? How do you want to heal? And then I decree what he says. And if I don't hear anything, I go to his word. And I speak the word until something shifts. When Anna in 2019 was dying, I mean, let's just be real. She was dying. She did die. There was a night in the hospital. She'll tell you the story. She died. She knew that she was leaving her body. She knew that she was, she was done. I would, I, I, I'll be honest, I had no faith for her healing. Faith had left me. I would sit for hours with Evelyn screaming and crying, trying to give her a bottle. I was anxious. I was overwhelmed. I was eating to comfort myself. I mean, I, I was done. I, God, I don't know how to do this. And then I'd muster up enough faith. Anna shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. And I just decreed that over and over and over. With a long life, you shall satisfy her. And thankfully, the rest of the world was praying too because honestly, I think if it had been left up to me, we'd have a different story. But there's power in your decree. There's power in the word of the Lord. And some of you need to get the word of the Lord over your life and stop believing the lies of the enemy. Stop believing those things. You were made to sit with Christ in heavenly places. You know, one of the things that I've had to learn in my own life is that when I'm getting ready to minister or I'm going to speak at a conference or even here on a Sunday morning, I don't feel anything. Now, when I get prayer, like I'll go and have someone pray for me, I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't feel anything when I get ready to preach. Nothing. It's one of the reasons I pray for the anointing to make preaching easy because I don't feel anything. People are like, you don't feel nothing. Nothing. I have to move by faith. But I've learned that when I begin to decree the anointings on my life, I'm anointed for this. God has called me for this. And you know, one of the things that I've learned is that God purposely lets me feel nothing so I recognize it's him. And I'm thankful for that, to be honest. Because I never want to get in a place where I think I can do it because I can't heal a headache on a fly. But I've had to learn to decree over my life. There's an anointing on my life. God has called me to this. God has called me to preach. God has called me to communicate. I'm anointed for this. And even though I don't feel anything, some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen, I felt nothing. Wasn't prompted. First time I saw a creative miracle when I was 14. In Mexico, in a little church, I felt nothing, but I saw this little girl come in. And I went, that's the miracle I'm going to see. I'm going to see it. Hector, come here. I saw her walk in. I'm picking on you to speak Spanish. And from here down, there was no arm. There was just a stump. 
and it just hung there. And I went, that's the miracle I'm going to see. I was going to see miracles. I'd been decreeing it. I'd been declaring it. And I hadn't seen one yet. And so six days into the trip, Laura walks into that little church on the second story. And I saw that stump and I said, I'm going to see it. So I walked over and I said, two caras, two brazo? Do you want your arm? And she looked at me like, what are you talking about, gringo? Like, <laughs> and I just decreed, arm, grow in Jesus' name. And as God is my witness, in the next 45 seconds, bone shot out, muscle shot out, skin shot out, her fingernails grew out, and God completely recreated her arm by the power of a decree. By the power of a decree. I think sometimes we wait till we feel something. We wait until we feel the anointing. We wait until we get our thrills and our chills. And God is reminding us, I made you to sit with me. Decree a thing and it shall be established. We've got to move our prayer life from an immaturity of pleading for God to move into the realm of authority and faith. As I start to close this morning. Notice I said start. I just have three more pages of notes. I'm just kidding. I want to look at one more passage this morning as I close. Mark 11, 22 through 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. The Greek suggests in verse 22, where we say in our English translation says, have faith in God. A clearer translation there would be, have the faith of God. Have the faith of God. Showing us what God's method of faith is here contains two elements. The first is that God's faith is spoken faith. It's verbalized. It's communicated. Whoever says, that's what he says there. Whoever says to this mountain, not pleads, not asks God, not intercedes for hours on end. It suggests a command. Whoever commands this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea. And the second is that God's faith is unwavering faith. For many, this is the stumbling block because our faith wavers. My faith wavers. But God's faith is unwavering faith. God's faith. Because the key to all faith is waiting on God until we've heard His voice to our lives. We have to have revelation. And with that voice and with that revelation, the doubt is cast away because we know that God has spoken. Too often, we jump off into all sorts of praying without ever having waited on God. That's why in our corporate prayer, we worship, 
where we pray in tongues and we wait on the Lord. We don't just jump off into a list because there's no power in that. When we hear his voice, there's a supernatural quickening of faith. And the result is that faith decrees become a key way to bring heaven to bear on the issues we face on earth. The confidence that we have to pray this way is because of our positioning and our available spiritual blessings which are accessible to us. Church, my greatest desire as your pastor is that you would access everything he paid for. Because you know, I know what will happen when that happens. The outflow will be the kingdom will grow. That, that's the natural consequence of faith, is the kingdom grows. I believe that we are being positioned as a church for some of the greatest breakthroughs we've ever seen because we as a church are going to take our position and recognize we've been made to sit with Christ in heavenly places. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. There's no sin issue in heaven. When I recognize I'm seated there with him, everything else starts to fall away. Please stand this morning. Before I open up the altars this morning, and Amber, I, I want you to queue up. It's, uh, it's an old Pentecostal song, but I felt led to play it during the altar ministry this morning. Priscilla Magruder, Heaven's Point of View. Throw it back to the old school Pentecost. But this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, you've never surrendered your life, you would say to me, Pastor Jacob, I don't, I don't know if heaven is, is where I'll spend eternity. I, I, don't, I don't know that. You say, I, I want to make certain of that this morning. I want to commit my life to Christ this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to have you take that step of faith. Pastor Hector and Suzanne will be standing right over here. In just a second, if that's you this morning, you want to make that commitment to following Christ, I'm going to have you come meet with them. We're going to pray together as a church. But I want to make sure that everyone here this morning knows that that God who is rich in mercy, who gave up Christ for you, I want you to know him personally and follow him. If that's you this morning, I want you to begin to take that step of faith out to Pastor Hector and Pastor Susanna. If you're watching by live stream this morning, you want to make that decision. In just a moment, we're going to pray collectively. But I want to make sure that that opportunity is given this morning. If that's you. All right, church, let's pray collectively. Lord Jesus, I surrender. I repent. I choose to follow you. Help me.
to follow you. I receive salvation by faith and by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.